So, although we did not blow the shofar today, being the day before Rosh Hashanah, we will be blowing the shofar tomorrow. And so, today we're going to talk about the secret of the shofar. The Torah commands us, in the Torah it says, that you should blow a trua uh, on this day, on the day of Rosh Hashanah. Um, in fact, the Torah calls the day Yom Teruah, a day of Teruah. What does Teruah mean? So our oral tradition tells us that if you look elsewhere in the Torah, it says, Va'avartem shofar Teruah. It says a Teruah is a shofar sound. So we must make a shofar sound on Rosh Hashanah. What is a shofar? A shofar is made of a hollowed horn of a kosher animal other than a cow. So a cow shofar is not kosher, but any other kosher animal can be used for the shofar. Generally, we use a ram's horn. Um, in some communities, they use the gazelle or, um, or a wild goat or other animals. And the wild goats have these very, very long shofars, uh, rounded shofars that they used to use in Yemen. So there are many, you could use any horn as a shofar from any kosher animal other than a cow. Now, the Torah does not tell us why to blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, just as it does not give the reason for many of the commandments. For some commandments, the Torah gives us a reason for it, but for the shofar, the Torah does not give us a reason why we should blow the shofar. So, now, many of our commandments have no reason that we know of or no satisfactory reason that we know of. However, our sages always believe that the shofar is a symbolic mitzvah. There are different types of mitzvah. There are commonsensical mitzvot or civil mitzvot about how to live and how to interact with each other. There are mitzvot that we have no reason for that make no sense like many of the laws of kosher. And then there are mitzvahs that are symbolisms for different things. We believe that shofar is a symbolic mitzvah. It is a, a dot, it's called. A mitzvah that has a clear reason. What then is the reason for the shofar? Why do we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? So one of our greatest Jewish thinkers of all times was Rav Sadia Gaon. And that's not here. We should do a class on Rav Sadia Gaon. So he died in 942, so he lived well over a thousand years ago. And he offered 10 different reasons for blowing the shofar. Some of them are pretty similar, as we'll see. Firstly, he said Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of creation. And therefore, every, it is the anniversary when God created the world. Adam crowned God as king over creation composing then chapter 93 of Psalms, Hashem Malach Geot Lavesh, that God reigns over creation. Every year on Rosh Hashanah, we commemorate creation again by crowning God as king over creation. When Jewish kings were crowned, they would blow the shofar, so it is a sign of crowning God as king, just as trumpets are blown when kings are crowned. We Jews blow the shofar to crown God as king. Another reason is the Rosh Hashanah begins a 10 days of repentance that go from Rosh Hashanah through to Yom Kippur. It is a day of teshuva, a day to repent, a day to change our ways. So it reminds us to do teshuva. Number three, he says, it reminds us when we stood at Mount Sinai and we accepted the Torah and God, we, God, we heard God say the Ten Commandments. The Torah tells us that there was thunder and lightning and there was a shofar sound. 
So to remind us of that moment when we stood at Sinai before God, we sound the shofar. Reason number four that he gives is that the shofar was sounded when we went to war. When our enemies attacked us, we would sound the shofar, and it serves then as a reminder that when our enemies attack us, God always saves us, and we have to rely on God. A fifth reason given is to remind us of the Bet HaMikdash of the temple. When the temple was destroyed, the shofar was sounded. We sounded the shofar, and it's also a request for God to rebuild our temple. Sixth reason he gives is it reminds us of one of the most important events in Jewish history when Abraham was commanded by God to to bind, to kill Isaac, to slaughter Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. And um, it's called the Akedah, or the binding. And God and Abraham did not ask any questions, even though it contradicted everything God had told him until then. He did not ask any questions. And he went ahead and brought Isaac as a sacrifice. He was about to kill him when God said, just kidding, or told him, (laughs) God said, don't do it. I only asked you to bring him on the altar as a sacrifice, but I did not tell you to slaughter him. And so then Abraham says, well, what am I going to do with this altar? Um, And I have a knife and an altar and wood and a burning fire. What am I going to do? And so um, he sees a ram caught by its horns. He goes, he catches, takes the ram, he slaughters it and offers it as a sacrifice instead. So the horns of that ram are the shofar. And indeed, we invoke the Akedah on Rosh Hashanah. And this is part of a theme of the, called Zechut Avot, something we find throughout the Torah. Whenever we talk to God and we ask God to help us, we always invoke the merit of our forefathers. As Moses himself did many times in the Torah when he needed help. He says, remember my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you need help, you go to your dad's friend and you say, you know, my dad helped you. You're my dad's friend. Please do me a favor and help me out. And so even though your dad's friend doesn't care for you, they care for your dads. They help you. So God does the same thing. He may not care for us or he, we might, may not be deserving, but our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are deserving. Since they are deserving, God should help us in their merit. So we remind God of the Akedah, and we actually read our Torah reading on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, on the second day, sorry, of Rosh Hashanah, is the story of the Akedah. Reason number seven is that the shofar is a powerful, strong sound to insta- in, uh, in order to invoke fear. And um, it says in the prophet Amos tells us, Hayitaka shofar be'ir va'am lo yecheradu. If a shofar will sound in the city, will the people not be afraid? So it's supposed to install fear. Number eight is to remind us of the Yom Hadin, the day of judgment. We are told that in the future times, before the end of times, there will be a great day of judgment where God will judge everyone. Um, for their actions, and so then a great shofar sound will blow, and it reminds us of that day. Reason number nine he offers is that the shofar reminds us of the, it says in in Isaiah, on that day when God gathers all our exiles back to the land of Israel, which we believe will happen in the future, God will um, blow with a great shofar. So it reminds us of that. And finally, we are told that we believe that in the future resurrection, that all the dead will come back to life. And at that point, again, the shofar will blow and it reminds us as that, of that as well. So we have many, many reasons for the blowing of the shofar. 
Maimonides gives us a different reason or somewhat that overlaps with some of the reasons that we gave. He says, Shofar is a wake-up call. It tells us, Uru mishinatchem. Wake up, sleeping ones, from your slumber. It's a wake-up call, telling us to wake up. It's supposed to shake you. Sometimes we go through life, day in, day out, and we kind of roll through life. The purpose of Rosh Hashanah is, it's a moment to stop, reflect. How is my life going? What have I achieved and done over the past year? What am I accomplishing? What am I doing? It's a moment to stop and reflect. It's supposed to wake you up. That's the purpose of the shofar. So now, in addition to blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, we also blew the shofar throughout the month of Elul. We blow the shofar also. We have a custom, this is not a mitzvah, but a custom, to blow the shofar at the very end of the service on Yom Kippur, to mark the end of the service and to, um, and to mark that next year we want to be in Jerusalem. Um, we also, in historically, we blew the shofar when, when Jews were back in the land of Israel in the first temple period. Um, every 50 years we celebrated a jubilee year. It only applies when Jews live on their ancestral land that was apportioned when they first entered the land. We were banished from our land before the destruction of the first temple and we have, never, we have long forgotten where our plots are, although we still have them. We still have those plots. We have forgotten where they are, so we don't keep that Jubilee year anymore. But every year, the Torah tells us, every 50 years on the Jubilee year, on Yom Kippur, you are to blow the shofar. And indeed, they would blow the shofar on Yom Kippur. The shofar was also blown at Mount Sinai, as we said when we heard the Ten Commandments. Whenever Jews went to war, they took the shofar with them and they blew shofar. It is mentioned particularly in the war against Jericho. In the book of Joshua, they blew shofar. And then later in the book of Judges, um, in the war led by Gidon. And as we mentioned before, when the future redemption comes, we will blow the shofar as well. So now, how do we blow the shofar? So, how do we blow the shofar? So there are a number of different sounds. There are a number of different sounds of the shofar that are blown. Um, there is a very long sound called a tkia, which is a straight, long sound like that. And then there is a shorter sound called the teruah. One, two, three. We do three times. And then there's nine very short sounds. Sorry, the three shorter sounds, I apologize, is the called shavarim. And nine very short sounds is called the teruah. It is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Very, very quickly, very short sounds. So we do each of those. And, um, and we, blow, we, we blow them in a very unique order. I'll talk in a few moments how we do that and how we get to that. Now, throughout Rosh Hashanah, we have three... We, uh, throughout Rosh Hashanah, we're going to blow the shofar multiple times over time and again. Um, and I'll soon explain exactly how we do each thing. So during the, every prayer that we do on Rosh Hashanah, during every, sorry, during every prayer that we do around the year... It's called the Shmona Esrei or the Amida prayer. That's the center, central prayer that we sing. Now, the Shmona Esrei is Hebrew for 18. Why is it called the 18? Because originally there were 18 blessings 
Originally, there were 18 blessings in the Shemona Esrei. Later, they added a 19th blessing, so the Shemona Esrei, still called Shemona Esrei, or Amida, became 19 blessings. However, we only recite 19 blessings on a regular day. On Shabbat or festivals, we take out the 13 middle blessings, which talk about the uh, 13 middle blessings, which ask God for a specific request. And instead, we have just one blessing. We do the first three blessings, last three blessings, and one middle blessing about the Shabbat or the festival. So on Shabbat and festivals, there are then three, three, and one, seven blessings. The only exception to that is the Musaf on Rosh Hashanah. The Musaf is the additional prayer that we do, the second prayer that we do on the Rosh Hashanah morning. And here, we do the first three and last three that we always do. And then in between, we actually do three blessings. The three blessings follow the three themes of Rosh Hashanah. The first blessing is called Malchiot. Malchiot is a... Uh, Malchiot means to crown God as king. The second blessing, and that's because, as we said, Rosh Hashanah is the day where we declare God our king and accept God's reign over our world and over us. The second blessing is called Zichronot, asking God to remember us. And the third blessing is called Shofarot, which is about the shofar. So we have these three blessings. So now, throughout Rosh Hashanah, we are going throughout the throughout these the Musaf, we continue we continue to blow the shofar throughout these three blessings. And let me explain bit by bit how it's done. Firstly, let me go back to the sounds of the shofar. So the shofar has three kinds of sounds. The Torah, according to our oral tradition, we are supposed to blow a long sound, a tekiah, followed by a short sound, a teruah, followed by multiple short sounds, followed by a long sound. And we're supposed to do that three times. Long sound, short sounds, long sound. Long sound, short sounds, long sound. Long sound, short sounds, long sound. Three times. That long sound, short sound, long sound. Now, what is the short sound sound? What does it sound like? What exactly is it? So our tradition tells us that the teruah, this that the Torah refers to, this short sound, is a yevava. What is a yevava? Yevava means a wail or a cry. A cry. Sounds like crying. Now, what kind of crying does it sound like? So we actually, the word Yevava is only found one time in scripture. It's actually found when it comes to the mother of, uh, there was a Canaanite general called Sisra that fought against Israel um, in the days of the prophetess Devorah. And um, Devorah, and he was, he was, and the Jews won the battle against the Canaanites and Sisera was killed by a woman called Yael. Um, long story of its own. I'm not going to tell the story now. And then the... Um, I think we did a class about Devorah once before. So, uh, and then... And then um, Devorah wrote a song 
thanking God for the great victory at the end. And in that song, she speaks about how Sisera's mother was crying and waiting for her. And she says, Vatiyavev Aim Sisera, the mother of Sisera, was crying, waiting for him to come home. And he didn't come home because he was killed. He was a bad person. So anyway, so we have the word Yavava, it means crying. So what kind of cry is it? So there are multiple variations as to what kind of cry it was. In some Jewish communities, they had this tradition that it was a moan. And so therefore it was, it was a moan, right? So it was three short sounds. In... Um, in some communities they had a tradition that it was crying. So it was, <laughs> it was crying. So it had very nine very short sounds. And in some communities they had traditions, this is going back over 2,000 years, um, back to the Second Temple period, in some communities they had the tradition that it was both. It was a moan that turned into a wail. So it was, oh, oh. <laughs> so it was both together. So what we do is we do three of each. So first we do the tkiah, the long sound, the shavarim, the three shorter sounds, and then the true or the nine very short sounds, and then the tkiah, the long sound. And we do that three times. So if you count the shvarim and trua separate, then that makes 12 sounds. Tkiah, shvarim, trua, tkiah, and then that three times over. Then we do the tekiah with the shvarim and tekiah, the, the shorter sounds, the three short sounds, three times over. And then we do the tekiah with the true, with the nine very short sounds, with the tekiah again, that three times over. So the first time we're doing 12 sounds, then we do nine sounds, and then we do nine sounds altogether, 30 sounds. Then, when we pray the Musaf prayer, we do the first, where we get to these middle blessings, we get to the Malchiel blessing about God being king, and then we do each of these sets. So, Tkiah, Shvarim, Trua, Tkiah, the Tkiah, the long sound, the short sound, the very short sound, the long sound, then the long sound, the short sound, the long sound, the long sound, the very short, the nine very short sounds, and the long sounds, altogether ten at the end of the first blessing. Then we do that again at the end of the second blessing. And then we do it again at the end of the third blessing, together each time doing ten sounds, together making another thirty. And then the cantor repeats the Amida, which is a very long repetition. And during that repetition, when he gets to the end of Malchiot, of the first blessing, we do that ten times. And we do the, um, the sounds. Then when he gets to the end of the second blessing, we do the ten sounds. Then when he gets to the end of the third blessing, we do the ten sounds. Together, another thirty 30, 30, and 30 already making 90 sounds. And then we have a tradition. We round it off at the very end of the cantor's Amida during the Kaddish. We, um, we blow 10 more sounds, rounding it up to 100 sounds. Yes? What is the order that you blow the shofar during the month of Elohim before? We do those same 10. Tkiah, Shvarim, Trua, Tkiah, the long sound, shorter sounds, nine very short sounds, long sound. Then long sound, short sounds, long sound, long sound, very short sounds, long sound. So exactly that order. So it can be confusing, right? So the Talmud asks us, uh, asks why, why do we do these three blessings? Malchiot, 
crowning God as king, zichronot, God remembering us, and shofar. And so the Talmud says, well, we crown God as king on Rosh Hashanah. We ask God to remember us. And how do we crown God as king and ask God to remember us? With the shofar. We use the shofar to um, crown God as king. And we use the shofar to ask God to remember us, giving us essentially another reason, or which somewhat overlaps on the earlier reasons, for the blowing of the shofar. So the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Chassidus, um, lived a couple hundred years, 300 years ago. He, he taught a beautiful story or parable to bring out this concept of um, how we, uh, what the shofar does. He told the following story. There was once a king who had a prince, a son. So all the stories go. He has a son whom is raised in the palace, sheltered, taught by the best tutors, and um, with, has um, hand-picked <coughs> friends and really sheltered throughout his life. And he grows up and his, the king tells him, you are not going to be able to rule one day because you have no life experience. You've been sheltered your whole life. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some money and send you out to a faraway corner of the kingdom and I'm going to tell you to go fend for yourself. So <coughs> sure enough, the prince uh, is sent out there with his money and he does not take care of himself properly. He hangs out with the wrong people. He quickly squanders his money. Um, he doesn't gain any life skills or any, um, <laughs> or any ability to earn a living. And so um, as a result, he ends up on the streets, homeless and poor, begging for money. With time, he forgets who he is. He even forgets the language that they spoke in the capital city where he grew up speaking now a different language, and he's hanging out with other homeless people, traveling from town to town, begging for food. And he travels like this from town to town for a number of years, until one day he comes to a very familiar town, and he realizes that this is the city, this is the capital city that he grew up in. And he thinks he's got, he'll go to the palace, he'll find his father the king, and hopefully, even though he didn't act as he should, hopefully his father will have pity on him and bring him back in and restore him back to his role as prince. So he comes to the palace. He doesn't speak the language well anymore. And he comes to the guards and he tries to explain to them that he's the prince. And the guards don't take him very seriously because he looks like homeless. He looks like he's a beggar. And so they send him off. And so he doesn't know what to do. So he goes around the side of the palace. He knows the palace well. He goes to near where he knows his father's room is. And over there he begins to cry, cries out for his father. His father hears him calling, Father, Father. And when he, his father hears him, his father recognizes his son's voice. And he sends them to, he sends his, his guards to bring his son in. And he brings him in and restores him as a prince. In the same way, we, um, in the same way, we, God sent us, we are God's children, whom He sent down on earth, and um, with a specific mission. And unfortunately, we forget our mission and forget our purpose, and we get stuck doing all sorts of other things. And then Rosh Hashanah comes, and we remember that this is why we are here. We're really here to, as God's agents on earth, to make an impact. 
and to follow God's commandments and we've forgotten our mission so we come back to God and we don't even have the words with which to speak to God and therefore we let out a cry the cry is that cry of the shofar where we recognize that God is our king God is our father and we ask God to bring us back this story um, expresses that concept that this essentially the shofar crowns God as king not just crowns God as king but helps us build a relationship with God. It's how we connect to God. The second story, there's a, then, there's a, then we said the shofar also has a role to, um, to remind God, zichrona, remind God, um, ask God to remember us. And so for this, the great sage of Levi Yitzchak of Barditchev, who lived about 250 years ago, told the following story, uh, following parable that really expresses this nicely. Also with a king. Uh, there was once a king who uh, went on a hunting trip and he was chasing his um, hunt and he got separated from his group. And soon he realizes that he is alone in the forest. And so the more he tries to find his way out, the more he gets lost. And soon he's wandering day after day and he doesn't see anyone. He's eating whatever he could find. Um, he's disheveled and um, hungry and uh, he's afraid he's going to die there in the forest. One day he hears from a distance, he hears the sound of music playing. He walks towards it. He comes across a clearing in the desert and he sees there in the clearing is a uh, there in the clearing is a shepherd playing his flute and um, w- um, watching his sheep. He goes over to the shepherd. He says, "I am the king. I have gotten lost in the desert. Um, please help me." And the shepherd um, takes him in, um, helps him, um, brings him brings him home, gives him clothing, gives him food to eat, lets him rest, and then he has. Someone go fetch um, the um, go to the nearby town to report so that soldiers could come or the king's friends could come and pick him up and bring him back to the royal city, back to the capital, back to the royal palace. King comes back to the palace. He sends for the shepherd and he says, you have saved my life. I am forever indebted to you. I will pay for you and your family to move from give up being a shepherd. You move here to the capital. I will give you a job to be an officer here in my palace and you will be paid handsomely. And so the shepherd moves with his family um, to the palace where he becomes an officer. Many years pass and the shepherd has, the former shepherd, now officer, has a fallout with the king. King is very upset at him and so the king orders his execution. We don't know what it was, it's just a story. And so the shepherd is the former shepherd is being led out to be executed, and he is told, "You what is?" He's asked, "What is your final wish?" And he says, "My final wish is that I be dressed up in shepherd's clothing, and be given a shepherd's flute, and be allowed an audience with the king." And so, dying man's wish, they get him shepherd's clothing and a shepherd's flute. He dresses up in them, and he is brought before the king, and he begins to play the tune that he was playing when they first met back there, there in the forest. And the king hears the tune and he remembers 
um, how the shepherd saved his life, and he decides to pardon the shepherd for what he had done. In the same way, um, we, um, God, many years ago, was looking to make a covenant um, with, give the Torah, and he went around, our tradition tells us, he went around to different nations, and they all refused the Torah, that he came to our people, and we accepted God's Torah, and he made a covenant with us. We have not kept the covenant, perhaps, the way we should, but on Rosh Hashanah, we remind God that when there was no one else to save him, there was nobody else to accept his covenant. It was us that agreed to accept his covenant on Rosh Hashanah, uh, uh, accept his covenant with the blowing of the shofar. So those are two themes, um, secrets of the shofar, two themes that the shofar is coming to teach us. But the truth is the first story has really an even deeper message. In the second story, we're reminding God of something else. We're reminding God of how the shepherd is reminding the king of how an earlier event that happened, how he saved the king's life. We are reminding God of how our ancestors accepted the Torah. But the first story is not only the prince reminding his father about himself, but he's communicating with his father. He's connecting to his father in the deepest way. And so the shofar really, more than anything, is a, the Zohar calls it, an inner cry that cannot be heard. Everybody deep down has this inner cry that we cannot sound, we cannot share. The reason why a person cries when they're very upset, when they're very sad, just as you laugh when you're happy, is because you have no words to express your emotion. It's too powerful, it's too overwhelming to express in words. The shofar represents a connection with God so deep and powerful that cannot be expressed. And every one of us, deep down in our soul, we are connected with God. Kabbalah teaches that our soul has five different parts to it. The deepest part of our soul is called the yichida, um, the, called the unity, which is uni- unity in that it's united with God. And so we are at our deepest core. We are connected to God. That is the deepest part of our soul. And so we invoke that when we blow the shofar, arousing our depth, our deep connection that we have deep down with God. And just to finish off earlier, we mentioned that the only example of a yevava, the word yevava, which is the term used for the shofar blowing, um, the shofar sound found in scripture is when Sisra, who was a Canaanite general and a horrible man, when his mother cries for him to come home. And so our sages tell us that that is because the shofar is a cry for anybody. No matter whom they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what their background is, anyone can come back to God on Rosh Hashanah, just like that story of the prince, where even though he's totally messed up and ruined, his father still brings him back in. In the same way, even if we have messed up on Rosh Hashanah, we turn back to God and we ask God to bless us with a sweet new year. So I wish you all a happy